Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. Ever wondered what it takes to lead a cutting-edge post-production studio? On episode 43 of The B-Side and the first for 2024, I speak to Will Alexander, the co-founder and executive producer of Heckler, one of APAC's leading design, VFX and post-production houses. Heckler's Sydney and Singapore studios house top-notch post-production suites and a team including some of the best in the business. Will has almost 20 years of experience. He has produced thousands of TVCs, music videos, art installations, live events, activations, you name it. Notably, he was the executive producer of the AACTA award-winning animated film, A Cautionary Tale, starring Australia's own Kate Blanchett. We chat about all things Heckler and what it takes to lead such a successful production company. Delving into the nuances of visual effects and post-production, we then chat about the enduring power of storytelling, adapting to tech shifts, and maintaining a client-centric approach to our work. There is a healthy dose of hip-hop references, failed car wash ventures, and some real talk on men's health, battling depression, drug use, and going sober. This was a cracking episode and an awesome one to kick the year off with. I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Cheers. Okay, what, um, 80 Commonwealth Street. 80 Commonwealth Street. We're in 80 Commonwealth Street. I'm with Will Alexander. Will Alexander, how are you, my friend? I'm great, mate. Welcome to 80 Commonwealth Street. <laughs> I don't know why I said it with such authority. 80 Commonwealth. <laughs> 80 Commonwealth Street. Also known as Heckler. 80 Commonwealth Street. You Get know why down. I said it like that? Because yep. it's the Paramount building. It is. Paramount House. Paramount House. Ha- ah, see, I went straight to Paramount Pictures. Yeah, it was. It was Paramount Pictures back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. Back in the day. And then since uh, 2010, it became Paramount House, I think. Paramount House, yeah. Mm. So I wasn't wrong, okay. Hence the movie guy voice. The movie guy voice at 80 Commonwealth Street with Will Alexander. (laughs) Sorry, man. It's okay. I'll edit that out. That's uh, not a great way to start. but it's a great way to start. It's a very, like, you know, that's the reason we moved into this building because of all the film history. Like when you walk Mm. in and there's those big flutes when you walk in above the hotel lobby, that's where they used to store all the nitrate-based negative. So this was a marketing and distribution office for Paramount Pictures and Fox Studios was next door on Brisbane Street Mm. and then hence the Hollywood Hotel. So this was the hub in the 1940s for all the marketing... Um, you know, film, marketing and distribution. It was never a working studio, but the golden age cinema is where all the old reels were played and during the war it was, uh, you know, a lot of that wartime reels and it was a real place for, yeah, marketing and distribution. It was the film creative hub of Sydney. Isn't that funny how it's moved now over to Bondi? No. <laughs> actually, joking. where the new... Well, it's gone a little further east. A little further been. east. Yeah. Um, Moore Park is probably the, the real epicentre of uh, film in, in Australia at the moment. Um, but, yeah, really, when the new owners bought this, it became beyond television after Paramount, um, a long time after Paramount, and there's been other offices here. But, yeah, beyond 2000 um, with Simon Townsend. Um, so that was all run out of here for a long time. Mm. And that's the level one. That's the space we occupy. Mm. So, that's uh, yeah, it's, got, it's steeped in film history. And when the new owners... Um, 
bought the place, they really wanted a film production company to carry on some of that legacy. So that was sort of, uh, we were doing art gallery exhibitions up there, sort of street art shows and yeah. hip hop events up in the, it was an abandoned space for a long time. And um, then, yeah, we met the owners and there was only five people at Heckler at that time. And so 700 square meters was probably a little bit more than we needed. But that was the only deal that was on the table. So yeah. um, we kind of, you know, built it and they will come. That was kind of very much the heckler way. And you've stayed here the whole time, which is, which is a wonderful achievement, if not, um, you know, a reflection on how successful you've been here. And I know you've opened up yep. in Singapore recently as well. But before we get to all that, why don't yep. we just start with you? Like, where sure. are you from, Will? And, uh, yeah. and I, won't, I promise I won't do it in the movie guy voice <laughs> again, but talk to us a little bit about where you're from yeah, and I, what started this journey. Yeah, yeah so I grew up in the inner west of Sydney um, between dad was in Hunters Hill and mum was in Balmain. So I sort of shifted my time between them. Mum was always in the f uh, film and television industry and my sister was also um, in that side of, uh, she was always in the creative arts and taught the director's course at NIDA. And so oh, really? yeah. that side, the women in my family were big influences on me in terms of creativity and then dad was in marketing so he owned a marketing agency called AGB McNair Anderson and then that became AC Nielsen Australia so he was more behavioral psychology sure and marketing and then mum was much more I mean they were both um, before all that they were both teachers so they were, both, right, yeah, yeah. they were both psychologists and educators um, and yeah, so we all went into, well, both me and my sister went into creative industries and that was always going to be, I was always going that way. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, I mean, I worked at AC Nielsen for a bit on the phones during school, yeah. like from 16 and through uni to, you know, pay bills before I could work at pubs and all that stuff. So I did do a lot of that focus group stuff and polling, like he was yeah. a, he was a pollster. So um, I did a lot of that kind of work and that kind of turned me on to sort of the marketing side of it a bit. Sure. So there was both, but really it was, I was much more excited by the artistic side of it than I was the actual yeah. business side of it. Yeah. And it's not one modality of creativity. Were you a bit of a storyteller by? Definitely. I was absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I was very good at coming up with stories. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Usually to get me or try and get me out of trouble. Yeah. And when did someone first recognize that, whether it be your parent, your mum or your dad or your... Um, I think that's very early age. I remember getting in trouble for, um, we were, uh, me and my best mate at the time, Saul Smith, were up at Bondi Junction. Um, he lived in Bellevue Hill and we would um, sneak out and wash people's windscreens, you know, at the lights. And we were un pretty young. We were in primary school and we got caught. And we we're in a lot of trouble and we had to have like a family meeting and um <laughs> i wrote my first rap uh it's called windscreen wiping is so cool and that was kind of a plea to try and get the parents to let us go back oh, to the junction fantastic. and um continue our little entrepreneurial windscreen oh, wiping that's so business how much money did you make by the way i don't know it wasn't bad it was pretty yeah. good like it was two dollar coins like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. we do all right you know probably <laughs> probably enough to get some uh you know Siggies or probably whatever we were trying to get was yeah, probably, we were probably yeah. definitely up to no good at a very young age. Was that entrepreneurial streak encouraged by your parents? I mean, that's that's quite creative. I mean, for most kids, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like most of them go, "What do I do to get a bit of extra coin?" I do the paper run. Whereas you have yeah. gone, "Hey, hang on a minute, how much do these guys actually yeah. make?" Yeah. You do the math. You go, well, "I could do that." <laughs> they shut us down pretty quick. Oh, so, uh, okay. Yeah, they didn't. The, the rap sure didn't. The, the rap didn't. The rat, which rap. is a story of my career. The rap. The rapping never went anywhere. Never went anywhere. No. It's tougher. Um, 
tough. Yeah. Caucasian dudes. <laughs> anyway, names are probably. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Is the exception? Yeah. Didn't, uh, didn't stop me trying. No. <laughs> um, so I was pretty rubbish at school. Um, didn't do well and didn't go to school a lot. Um, so, but scraped through my HSC. Um, and that was, I got, yeah, literally 50.05. So I just got the bare minimum, just yeah. got in there. And that was enough to get me through to a relatively new uni at the time of UWS or the University of Western Sydney, which was based out at Nepean, which was the Penrith campus. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, out yeah. there. Um, and that was pretty basic, I would have to say. Like a lot mm. of my classes were in sort of demountable kind of shipping containers and there was cows in the field. Like it was, you know, foot of the mountain sort of yeah, farmland yeah. stuff when yeah. we got out there. Um, but they offered the first ever um, digital production course, which was in radio, which I was eligible for. One of the only kind of creative things, you know, you do art psychology and then I could do a few electives. And there was a digital production strand in radio, which I did and I just loved it. So Fantastic. from being yeah. a very average student who didn't go, didn't attend school and didn't really, didn't feel like I fit into that whole mold. Yeah. I went to a bunch of schools as well, so I moved yeah. around a bit. There was heaps of behavioural stuff when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and uh, What are we talking behaviourally? Is it like ADHD just, or that sort of... I mean, I think I was you know, maybe a bit ADHD. I've never been diagnosed with it, but yeah. I had a very... I just was very disruptive. In and the class. reason I jumped to that is yeah. because a lot of um, my guests, yeah. there's a bit of a common theme. Yeah. Those who are highly creative tend to get bored really easily right. and they get misdiagnosed as having ADHD. It's only because their mind's going a million miles an hour and yeah. they're thinking about all these other things and having a rigid sort of structure to follow mm. goes against their fiber every yeah. every fiber of their being you know so i sort of did the yeah. reverse i went to the local school and ended up getting kicked out of hunters hill high and then ended up at newington and yeah. um, just that just got me through so i was very grateful to have that experience and sure. that my parents were able to do that for sure. me but i was you know i didn't really go in for the you know cadets and footy mm. and all that kind of stuff yeah, i wasn't yeah. one of those guys computer science was kind of the only thing you know apart from art that i was kind of ever okay at really yeah. but yeah luckily enough got just enough marks to get into penrith found that little elective there i could only do one subject in it and um i did really well in that i focused that and um didn't do well in psychology statistics definitely decided that wasn't for me and following my father's footsteps sure. into that sort of market research kind of political um much more data and analytical side of the business so then i pursued as many creative units as i possibly could music being the main one and did two years out at uws and then uh, macquarie um, in 98 offered a degree in communications, part of that faculty in digital media production oh, so there you go. as, as yeah. the major. So I was able yeah. and I had enough credit points to transfer over, but I had to start my degree again completely. Oh, really? So yeah. 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 They, I, I was able to get into that, um, yeah. but it was a three year degree. 98 so, might have been when the afters were still out at Macquarie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And 2SER yeah. yeah. Radio was also out there. So that yeah. was a big part of my journey. I sort of ran a, um, uh, yeah, like an underground 90s hip hop kind of, um, yeah show out there oh yeah cool fun. who's your go-to hip-hop band at the moment i still i'm yeah, pretty keen it's still on. stuck in the 90s man yeah me too i'm still yeah. all about wu-tang clan yeah wu-tang clan we've got to yeah. do a job with wu-tang oh, clan this year yeah, yeah for yeah. menu log oh fantastic <laughs> i think it was dollar dollar deals dollar dollar, dollar deal. yeah. genius i love that yeah big fan of buster buster rhymes has got a new album coming out i can't right. remember what it's called it's still going yeah he's, he's still busting he's still busting he's, he's, <laughs> he hasn't burst yet is it? he hasn't burst i, I did uh, the grave diggers yeah that was they're probably oh, my favourite band of all my time. Oh, here come the grave diggers. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah pretty pretty intense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Six Feet Deep was probably the, yeah, yeah. the album that really kind of did it for yeah. me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that one uh, eight hundred suicide was probably yeah. uh, that was big. But then also Cold Chisel was big. Cold, like I, yeah. had a, I had a tape. De- I had a tape, and on one side it would be the Grave Diggers, and the other side you'd have Cold, Cold Chisel. Chisel. So you know, go figure. Yeah, that, that 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 was uh, <laughs> Australian music, sort of um, the norm, right? You yeah. know, you would have. Yeah. ACD, Akadaka on one yeah. side and you'd have, you know, like NWA on the other. <laughs> uh, awesome. So talk to us about Heckler. I mean, um, you're not so producing, Heck- well, yeah. you are producing um, Wu-Tang Clan ads. Yeah, well, fortunately we are. That was, what I else mean, do that's, you guys do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, we do a lot of things, really. I mean, traditionally we... Originally, we started out as a design company, design and animation company in mm. a boutique kind of a space. Post-production shifted from being facility-based, you know, big shops out in Artarman um, with heavy-duty, you know, kind of proprietary software and big old systems. And we went from cutting neg and 35 mil to digital. My first early roles was, was literally being a runner to drive the neg out to Neg Lab, then wait till that had been chemical bath, then drive back to Artarman. So Neg Lab was in Hurstville, the drive back to Artarman and do a telecine, and then you'd cut the neg. So that whole post-production process was about, you know, two weeks, you know, mm, before you'd yeah. even start really looking at stuff. You know, it was a, now you kind of run home from a shoot with a hard drive and you're looking at edits the next day. So my post-production side of it was born out of the end of the era of film-based, you know, Kodak and Fuji stock, learning that and going into tape room kind of roles and running and production assisting shit kicking roles and then getting into a gig at resolution design back in 2000 i started there and i stayed there for 10 Mm. years so and worked my way up from a runner to the head of production and we won lots of awards and you know that was one of the first boutique shops there was finn there was resolution there was fuel i mean fuel was a lot bigger back then but um you know rezo and finn were kind of the Finn's a bit older probably mm-hmm. um, and still around and massive um, today. Um, they're not boutique at all anymore. They're huge. Um, but it was all born out of that and this kind of desire to do something more desktop, digitally focused and more disruptive in the space that sure. was more collaborative, yeah. um, that wasn't as slow and cumbersome and didn't feel like a you know, sausage factory like those old shops. What's something people don't know about you? We might just switch gears just sure. very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of work in men's mental health space. Sure. So that's something that's really dear to me and um, has certainly saved me. You know, I've had a lot of drugs and alcohol issues coming up. Well, from a very early age, I suffered a lot from addiction. Yeah. Um, and that's something, and also depression. So they're two things. That, One goes hand in glove with the other. Yeah, they really yeah. do. So that's yeah. something I've struggled with my whole life. Um, and so... Six and a half years ago, I got clean and sober. Um, Good on you, man. And yeah. thanks, man. And then part of that recovery um, and maintaining, like living a sober life, is doing lots of service. So yeah, I got yeah. involved um, initially with a buddy of mine who's an old creative director from Droga 5, Ben Akers. Um, his best friend committed suicide tragically. And part of his recovery was to make this beautiful documentary called Steve. That was his best mate's yeah. name. And um, through that, he went and interviewed lots of, you know, mental health practitioners and, you know, 
all people who are involved in this men's mental health space because there's a real epidemic going on in yeah, men's mental health and suicide, particularly in this country. Yeah. So the yeah. statistics aren't good. Um, and uh, I think, you know, eight people a day, uh, roughly, I think, yeah. are committing, taking their own lives in yeah. this country today. So it's pretty high. Don't quote me on that. Maybe fact check me on that one. But it's 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 a fucked statistic. And I didn't know yeah, any of that. Yeah, no. <clears throat> anyway, Ben, through this doco, met lots of different uh, mental health practitioners and just also people like his, you know, Steve's family and other sporting organisations and tried to come up with... Uh, what can he do? You know? yeah, and that yeah, was really, yeah. um, you know, part of his healing process, I suppose. So he came mm. up with this thing called Talk Club. Talk Club's a really great uh, and simple way of getting men together. And it, he figured out that guys are pretty bad at opening up and being vulnerable yeah, yeah, and talking true. about yeah. this shit. Um, so he came up with a really clever four-step sort of program, if you like. And step one, if you like, they're not called steps. Um, but the first sort of act or the first uh, thing you do at Tour Club is that you ID with your name and a number out of 10. How are you feeling today out of 10? Oh, right, yeah. 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 And there's a great, he does a great TED talk on this and he takes this whole system around to schools and jails and all sorts of stuff. So he's a really inspirational guy. Um, and uh, the next thing, it's like, you know, why, um, so who you are, number out of 10, why are you feeling that way? And what are you doing for your mental health this week? And finally, you check out and everyone goes around the room. And they used to even pass a footy to each other because just to get a physicality to it. Yeah, so yeah, guys yeah. felt like having that little conch or a footy or whatever yeah, yeah. really helped them kind yeah. of open up a bit, a bit of a security break. Guys kind of need something to do. Yeah, don't they? You right. Sort of, yeah. Like a task or something. Like a task. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that was a really yeah. cool thing. So um, and, then when, and then you check out. So how are you feeling at the end yeah. of the meeting? Yeah. With the you know the view of hopefully everyone has you know raised the number a bit so yeah you know if you're coming in also it's so you started you might have started out as a three and walk out at seven or something something like that, like that. yeah, yeah. yeah so that was fantastic. so uh, I set that up here in Sydney and we ran that for a couple of years uh, it was really effective during COVID particularly because a lot oh, yeah. of people were getting laid off yeah and so it gave and I just set up a little Facebook page. Uh, which had hundreds of followers. We wouldn't get that many attending. It was a Monday, 5 o'clock, so it was a hard time slot. But, you know, we'd usually get between 6 and 12 blokes coming, mm. mostly from the advertising and creative industries. Yeah. And a lot of those guys were struggling. Um, why do you think that is, just on, on that point for a bit, why do you think it is so prevalent in the advertising um, industry? I, I can speak about my yeah. experience. I probably I don't really share it very often, but mm. I, I went through some pretty tough times. Right. A lot of stuff happened whilst I was... Um, how to play at Clemenger BBDO, yeah. sort of. I was on the verge of divorce and got divorced and left. Everything just seemed to implode. Yeah. But I think it was more a symptom of broader issues, not so much the that was that wasn't the issue that mm. triggered it. It was more a symptom of broader underlying issues. And it's funny you say alcohol. I think alcohol. Yeah. Um, whether it be self-medication yeah. or whether it be, you know, trying to dull the pain or one. Yeah. But I, I, I saw it help for that and, yeah. and I think it helped me drink. I don't drink. I haven't drank anything for close to a year now and feel yeah. absolutely fantastic. Oh, and good on you. So it's, um, I'm going on a bit of a journey myself because I do fall in and out of those um, bouts. I have to keep, like anything, it's like any form of training. You've yeah. just got to keep... Keep an eye on it just to make sure I don't fall back into anything. Totally. Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, I think it's certainly for me, the guys that I looked up to, like the big directors and big creative directors and all those guys I was really looking up to, they hit it pretty hard. 
Mm. So that was definitely what I thought success looked like. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you'd work, really, you'd work your yeah. ass off and then you'd go get shit-faced. Mm. And that was and be completely operational the next day, which yeah. is weird. Yeah. yeah, we all showed up to work the next day. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter how late you'd been out, yeah. particularly the young ones. And that was kind of culturally, that yeah, was kind of yeah. drilled into yeah. us, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, And I always thought that to get those opportunities or to get those gigs that you had to be kind of that last man standing. And so there was mm. a whole machoism thing mm. around it as well. Mm. Um, that was really impressive and, you know, um, attractive at the time mm. um, until, you know, you realise that, um, well, for me anyway, the party stopped, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful to be in a position where you can sort of build some awareness and yeah. and help people share their stories and encourage others to do the same? That was a big inspiration to me to see mm. a really dear friend of mine who works in the creative industry, someone who I really respect and is a long-term collaborator doing something that, yeah, I, I really thought that was brave. Yeah, so yeah I respected sure, that yeah. a lot. And I followed that journey and then I kind mm. of launched it here. So that whole experience was amazing and I got to know that. And I'd practice it, you know, I'd practice it with him. I'd practice it with guys here. And so going through that and just sharing stories, like once you, it's hard at the start to get, you know, vulnerable and honest for sure. It's not an easy thing to do, but the more you do it, um, consistency is the key to all of it until you kind of unlock it all. There's a real thread. I think it's that machismo that permeates a lot Definitely. of the the interactions we have in the industry. And um, I feel that there's so many people acting. You know, that's being absolutely yeah. I think putting we're all... up a facade. You know, mm. it's, it's... Well, I think so. I think a lot of it's driven by you know, for me anyway. I can only speak for myself, but a lot of that was driven by an insecurity of mm. not belonging and not fitting in. Yeah, yeah, true. And yeah. a fear of not being good enough. I think mm. all my life. So I think mm. I was always searching for that, and I was always seeking something that was sort of outside me. Um, in a lot of ways, and I found um, drugs and alcohol kind of help. You know bring that kind of inner whatever it was out, that superpower yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. Um, and that works for a bit in your 20s and maybe 30s. And then, you know, if you're like me and you push it too far, then mm. it starts to, you know, implode on you. Oh, for sure. It so, takes its toll, doesn't so it? it takes it really its toll. Does. And yeah. then you become, you know, um, you know, uh, I think that's, that's when it starts doing serious damage to you because um, uh, it goes from being this, confidence builder to being something that you need to you know you're relying on it for me anyway so I couldn't get up I couldn't you know dust myself off and just kind of go so there was always this kind of if I was going to be creative or I was going to be productive that I would need that yeah do you know what I mean so yeah. there was a real crutch there that that developed yeah. and and I didn't realize that until it was way too late yeah. So I was already sort of hardwired into me, you know, by then. Yeah, but you had some resilience that helped you overcome that, and which leads me into a question and mm. just switching gears somewhat. Mm. What would you say your super strength would be? What would be your beast mode or your superpower? Um, look, the the biggest one that sort of I've had to come to terms with is really honesty today, you know, being mm. honest with myself because I yeah. lived an absolute, like, a fake life. Mm, for a very mm, long time. Mm. So honesty for me is a huge part of what's helped me in my recovery and also in how I run my business and also how just I live my life today. I live a much simpler life. There's a lot less moving parts. And even though it's chaotic in production all the time, yeah. um, the actual mode is very um, is a lot smaller. So I'm not trying to kind of be this big 
character, this big people pleaser. Yeah. I need your attention. I yeah. need your love. I'm not like that anymore. And I used to yeah. do all, all my behavior was like elaborate. It was like, sure. let's yeah. do the biggest party in the industry. You know, yeah, let's stay at yeah. the latest. I think I came to one of yours up on yeah, the roof there. Yeah. <laughs> so that was all, it was all, that was Heckler's brand. You know? yeah, and yeah. really that was kind of, that's what I thought was, you know, yeah, that's what you needed to do. And, to and, do. Yeah. You know, that's it was fun at the time. Yeah, um, but for it's, sure. it wasn't um, for me. It wasn't sustainable in the long term, and mm. I was getting more and more miserable by kind of playing that role constantly mm. because I was always acting. Yeah, yeah. I, I was always acting. So I think getting honest with myself has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and facing those fears and that inner demons is probably the the most humbling thing and also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. What does a typical day look like now for you at Heckler? It's really structured, my day. Like, I've got two teenage kids as well, so and my wife works in the industry, so you know, I'm up at 4.30, I train, I walk the dog, I cook the kids' breakfast and yeah. lunch, and that's all before 7 o'clock. Right? Oh. <laughs> so then, like, before I even get in to work, I've had, you know, I do meditation, I'll often yeah, do, wow. you know, yeah. like a 12-step meeting or talk to someone. Um, who is someone else in recovery often um, yeah. because people struggle in the morning yeah. and um, that's part of it. It's so doing service. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all usually before. So I've got to have that. I don't look at my phone. I don't read emails. I don't look at the newspaper. Yeah. I don't go on social media. I don't do all of that's been cut out completely. Really? Yeah, completely until I get Good until I start head. to get into work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the drive in, I'll start calling people. And then we do same time production meeting every day. All my meetings are really scheduled um, and, you know, I keep a real discipline to all of it. When, when you're talking about scheduling, how do you manage your time? Because I mean, it it's, it's hard. but You've got a lot of moving parts there. Yeah. And I just wondered how maybe you could give some tips to people. I mean, it's all that. about winning the morning for me. That's winning the, the morning. That's why I get yeah. up super early. Um, and I find yeah. that if I've got that space in the morning and that clarity in the morning, then you get into production and all best efforts to schedule your day go out the window pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some days they run great, but often they don't. Do you, do you find – I'm a bit the same way actually because not to your, the extent that you do it, but I do work on multiple projects and I'm dealing with multiple yeah. stakeholders all the time and I, I've, I've spent a lot of my time over the last seven years stripping out process for the sake of it. So. Mm. Let's just fix things. Let's yep. not create new processes to fix things. If we can fix things, let's just fix things. Or yeah. let's just do things. Mm -hmm. Let's not create more things to do <laughs> sure. on the journey of doing things. Yep. You know, so it's it's weird. And I speak this way to some people and they don't quite get it. But I think you and I are kindred spirits. I mean, yeah. you're more on the outputs. Definitely. You know, and, oh, look, and the process, you set the process, mm -hmm. but you're focused on the outputs. Yeah. Would, would that be fair? A hundred percent. You know, mm. you have to trust that process and you have to back yourself and get it done and know sometimes that it's not going to be the best that you can possibly do. And even though I'm definitely a perfectionist and I'll drive myself and everyone else mad in that pursuit, mm. so you've just got to let it go and move on because there's not enough hours in the day and I can't do, like I don't, I used to have these ridiculous to-do lists of 400 things on them and I'd, yeah. I'd do a half-assed job at all of them. Yeah, so yeah. much better to do a handful of things and give them the attention. You know, if you've got eight hours in your workday, how many things can you realistically do? True. So trying to kind of, you know, train your brain to kind of get in that mode of, okay, what are the priorities that I've got to get to today? And I, I always try to be on time. I always try to dedicate and devote as much of my time as I possibly can to supporting my team yeah. and then let them do their thing. I don't try and micromanage people. It's like set it up, brief it, and then let them do it. Yeah. And then that's the best you can do. And then at night, I'll sort of review my day. So it's like an, an inventory type thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I just kind of check it off. Check it's it like, off. Okay, yeah. how did I do today? You know, it's like Benny Aker's talk club thing. It's like, okay, well, maybe I got a six out of ten today. Sure. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and, it's pretty brave to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that takes a lot of, um, yeah, guts and and self reflection to be able to assess yeah. yourself. I hate doing that, but yeah. I do it. I do it. It's just don't do practice. it. Don't do it daily, like you. Yeah, no, I do it every yeah. day. Yeah. So all those things have kind of become, you know, very much part of the discipline of the, mm. particularly when you're recovering from drugs and alcohol abuse, like for I was. Sure. You have to kind of keep the guardrails are really good for yeah. me, yeah. and then you know acts of kindness and service throughout the day are the other things that I always schedule into my day. So yeah. I'll do something for someone else regardless. Every, Acts of kindness, yeah. Well, yeah, it can be, yeah, that can anything, be anything. Yeah. That's like, you know. How much of that is just your um, personality and your approach and I think your philosophy? I, I think I grew up, definitely my mother yeah. was like that and she instilled mm. that in me for mm. sure. There's part mm. of that in, you know, my nature. Um, but also I've had to learn, like, you know, I do a lot of work with, um, they're called hospitals and institutions, you know, in our programs. So I'll spend a lot of time at, uh, drug and alcohol, mm. um, rehabilitation centers. Mm. So I talk out there yeah, and I, that's take, awesome, I take people yeah. through, you know, how I recovered. So yeah. I do a lot of speaking in that space and then that moved on to now corrections. So yeah. I spend most of my service time yeah. working in hospitals, institutions and, and, corrections. and corrections. Well, most of the guys that are in those correctional centres have some sort of drug-related... All of them. You know. I'd say almost every, yeah. every single one I've met has yeah. categorically yeah. had... I should hook you up with Nader Hamden, who's been on the podcast as well. I grew right. up with Nader and he went off on a different different path for a while. and But he goes out and speaks to kids uh, in high schools before they get into the, you know, the yeah. trouble kids before they... And correction, juvenile justice centres yeah. and so on. And... He, he, and I imagine like yourself, he really resonates. Well, what he says resonates with those guys because he's speaking from experience, right? you know, and he knows, yeah. he knows what people are going through genuinely. He doesn't have to act, doesn't have to pretend. He's just mm. genuinely connecting with those people and really trying to help turn them around however they can. It's not, not like preachy, right? It's just... No. I mean, look, it's just, really hard to go out to maximum security and kind of connect with those guys. They're really... Mm, um, they're pretty hard-nosed, aren't they? I'd yeah, imagine. Yeah. It's, it's not a fun place and it's pretty mm. grim and I think the strike rate of actually connecting with people out there is pretty slim. It's really, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah, hard. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, I wouldn't say it's a fun, no, <laughs> fun no, part no, of it. No, no, no. I don't think it would be. But. I think the discipline of it and it, the, it, it pushes you into... Um, uh, a, a really uncomfortable place. And I think that's a really good place for, yeah. I need to go, I've always been pretty extreme. Mm. So where do I find other forms of extreme shit, right? Yeah. So it's like, I can't do the drugs and alcohol anymore. Yeah. So where am I going to go and get that? So that ter- it's pretty scary going into those places and yeah. getting comfortable in that environment is very unnatural to me. Yeah. It's certainly something I've had to learn. Um, and whilst... I don't know how much of an impact yeah, do we actually make out there. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I don't know. But for an hour, if we can just take those guys' minds off it and get them to open up a little bit about some of this stuff. That's fascinating. Then it's, it is. And you walk out of there and uh, it is it is a big experience walking out yeah. of those places. You, you're happy just to have survived. You might as well be going to a different planet. I mean, it's, for, yeah. for a lot of us, that's, yeah. that's a world that we have no idea mm. that it even exists, let alone yeah. having that level of exposure to it. Mm. You know, you may read about it in the news, but to embed, <laughs> going into the lion's den, basically, yeah. and just really embedding yourself and treating them like equals yeah. in that space. 
And then just trying yeah. to help them set up a programs that they can run. And then yeah, yeah. Just, we're just facilitators out there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We're not medically trained or any of that stuff. So we just go right. out with a very simple program and just try and pass on that message. And, you know, that that's worked and it's growing because um, uh, we're getting access to a lot more correctional facilities yeah. now. So I'm going to ask you a couple of sort of, I guess, more relevant topical yep. topics now, and there'd probably be more of a rapid fire Q&A style session here for my listeners. I get a lot of feedback on these Q&As. People love them. They're like, James, stop rambling. And you talk about how you're going to solve all the world's problems to talk to us about the business side of things. So here we are. The first one will be, you've got an office in both Singapore and Sydney. I'd love, I'm an honorary Singaporean, so I'd yep. love to get your thoughts on how you, I guess, customise those services between your Sydney office and your Singapore office and maybe some of the differences in, in approach. I mean, firstly, Singapore was uh, an extension of the Sydney office to begin with. So we'd been working up there on Tiger Beer for about five years. So we, yeah. Heckler was known in that market. There was a CG cat in every campaign. It was a Droga 5 campaign. It was called Uncage. And so that was... Oh, I love yeah, that, that camp. Was, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. we got well known for CG up yeah. in that region. Yeah. And so we'd travel up there quite a bit. And then in 2019, we decided the account was moving to uh, Publicis and it was consolidating back in Singapore. And we thought, this is the time we should go. And so we launched Heckler Singapore in 2019. <laughs> um, obviously, by the end of that year, we were in COVID. So that, was, yeah. um, that wasn't the best start to a business. Yeah, oh, um, goodness me, yeah. Yeah, because Singapore's lockdown was pretty brutal. Pretty brutal, yeah, and it went for a lot longer than ours, right? Yeah. I mean... So we almost killed it before we'd even... We were almost out of business before we started. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we managed to grow the business um, exponentially. Like, there was five people when we set it up, up there, and there's 30 people today. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been speaking to Charu. Charu, mm, yep. um, Menon, is that? That's the, right. No, I've been speaking to Charu Menon, mm. and she's an absolute star on her. Yeah, she's she was a great So things. she was an EP here yeah. and then went up there. So yeah. she wanted, well, she's South Indian, so she wanted to be a bit closer to home so she could get mm. home to see family. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for the first three years. Yeah. Now it's obviously opened back up. But that was part of the lure um, uh, and to be back in a hot climate for her. Um, but it was really challenging. And um, uh, the clients are very different. The pace is very different. The volume, mm. regional work's very different. Do you, what in terms of the clients being different? I hear a lot about that, mm. and I'm I'm not going to sort of flavour it with any yeah. positive or negative. It's just different. It is. How is it different in your mind? Do you, I mean, it's, um, it's well, you're not just dealing with one market, so you shoot yeah. you shoot things for three different markets usually. So there'll be a pan Asian, there'll uh, be yeah. you know yeah. something that's more African based and mm. something that's more universally kind of um, Western. So sure. often you'll shoot the same script three times. Yeah. So just the sheer volume of it and then the nuances, like the packs in Singapore are different to the packs in Malaysia. Yeah. So you're changing all that stuff out. So there's mm. all that cultural nuance, even in, there's 44 countries in Southeast Asia and not all of them like each other. Yeah. And not all of them want that next door neighbor's product. So you've got a that was a huge learning curve for us to kind of get our head around both yeah, the sensitivities around that, the cultural sensitivities around it, and then how do you kind of create a, you know, particularly for us up there, we're post-production pipeline to help facilitate that kind of huge volume of work. So down here we might have, you know, now with you know social media, there's a lot more deliverables. So mm. it's not a 60 and a 30 and a 15 yeah. and a 10 and a 6, right? That used to be a packet. 
that that's pretty standard kind of Aussie advertising. Right? Yeah. Now yeah. you've got nine by sixteens, one to one, four to fives. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. So up there, when you've got forty-four different markets you're delivering to, you times that. What's that? Ten times forty-four. Suddenly you've got nearly five hundred masters you've got to do. Yeah. So the, it's just a different kind of game up yeah. there. How do you service for that? In Singapore, you know? they change things a lot, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's like yeah. right up to the last minute. It's like air, air, the way media works up there is quite different too. So here an air date, it's changing here, but an air date means something. Yeah. So if, uh, up in Singapore, there's no, like they'll say that's your air date and then they'll just change it at the 11th mm. hour. So yeah. it's all a bit of bullshit because they yeah. don't get the same penalty rates. And COVID uh, also right. changed that mm. a lot as well. That yeah. The, Everyone was, um, uh, they had to be more flexible here um, in the media spend. But here, media is like a lot more locked up there. It's a lot more fluid. Fluid, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's a lot more digitally focused. So, yeah. you've got huge amount of deliverables that can change on you at the 11th hour. Also, the way the people are proving things, you know, a lot of the time it has to get approved. The chain of command in Asia is very different. Yeah. So there's tiers of approvals you've got to get through. And until you get to the big, big boss, you know, it's all like nothing's approved. Yeah. yeah. So Do you have a way that is consistent between both offices? So your heckler way of doing mm. things? Um, look, there's certain things that we... Uh, Definitely in terms of the way we kind of collaborate is very much like we're a lot more playful. We're a lot more, we're not facility based. Mm. Um, so it's not like you're on the clock when you walk into Heckler. It's a lot more, we try to provide a lot more experience. That's why sure. we spend a lot of money on studios and where we are in the Paramount. And, yeah. you know, we try to provide, when you walk in here, it's more like a boutique hotel and that's mm. always what we wanted to achieve. Sure. So that's different, um, I think. And so that's consistent with the two studios. Yeah, so, I was going to ask like how you maintain your unique yeah. style and brand yeah. across those offices. Yeah, and That's so. not unique to Heckler, but we certainly pride ourselves on being, you know, in a real creative hub that people can come to and sort of jam and help, you know, that's where you kind of nurture ideas and give birth to new ideas and experiment. I think we're very experimental and collaborative and playful rather than that kind of cold hard kind of line yeah visual effects you know on the on the clock kind of thing it's yeah. much more um open i think how do you make sure that your team stays updated we've talked about trends and tech yep. you're just touching on ai and sure. you know there's things like the advent of um, the rising demand for ar and vr and yep. all this fragmented ai generated content and and the, the various channels of how, how does heckler ensure its team stays updated on you know those well, emerging technologies yeah particularly in our industry it's moving really really fast right so ai particularly is coming out as you know with the creative tools first right yeah so that's the first application we've seen a lot of it you know in terms of you know mid-journey coming out and everyone being able to play in create imagery yeah. is like one of the main applications and there's hundreds of apps coming out all the time so we've got a team that you know we do it intercompany um uh kind of like a lab do you know what i mean where a creative director will set a task and a software and then we kind of beta test oh, wow, all of yeah. them and then it's like okay this is really good at image generation or this is really good at tracking or this is really good at another you know post-production service and then we kind of give them a bit of a scorecard and a bit of a rate it and then we'll check in so yeah. the team have been actively doing that so everything's all all the artists have um uh got the software at their fingertips like and we made a deliberate effort to install that on everyone's machines we've got licenses for everything and we're constantly testing um and uh in evolving it but if you don't keep up with this stuff you'll fall behind really quick yeah yeah so. 
What significant changes or, I guess, trends do you see um, may affect the production industry? And uh, how are you guys preparing to... Well, we just, I mean, AI, we're back to AI. We just did our first big car ad for Hyundai for um, using AI exclusively for that sure. project. Yeah. Um, and it was brilliant because there was very little time um, mm. and we needed to create a lot of nostalgic uh, assets from, it was an, a timeline from the very first Hyundai rolling out to the two millionth car, which has just rolled off the production line and there was no archival footage available sure so yeah. where ai was brilliant is getting the the landscape the setting the tone the era correct what it wasn't great at doing was um actually reproducing the cars and the models um uh but we were pretty confident we could get there we've done a lot of cg cars but we didn't have the time the luxury or the budget on this one so there was a lot of r d on it and i think that really pushed us all as a company and actually pushed the client, the agency and production all to work a lot closer together because we had a new teammate AI in the room. Mm. And that was really different working with, you know, uh, it's like a green kind of, you know, a new crew member that's really fast, but can only get you part of the way. So it needs lots of attention sure. and lots of nurturing. Yeah. So, you know, we're, that was an exciting one. It succeeded, and um, uh, that's been that's been the biggest development for us. The other one's Unreal Engine, which we use in pretty much every project now, which is a really good. Started off, you know, it is a gaming engine. It's really fast rendering. Um, that's something that we use across the board from pre-visualization right through to final yeah. rendering now, mm. which yeah, is you, really cool. <clears throat> yeah, the cutscene sort of potential for that, but not just the cutscene potential, the live action potential. Yeah. Directing a game in real time is mm. quite surreal. It's just a, a strange yeah. thing to get your head around. Yep. That you can direct a live action sequence as you would play a game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's wild. The toolkit's it's getting absolutely re- super amazing. powerful. Yeah. And then virtual production is the other thing which everyone's, you know, adopting and that's really exciting. What is virtual production for those who so aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so it's just like an LED, it's a volumetric stage. So it's like, it's like no, instead of shooting on a green screen, you shoot with a big LED wall essentially. Sure. And yeah. that can generate background environments and cameras can track to those environments in real time. Yeah. So that's the beauty of using Unreal Engine and Disguise media servers that it can actually, like there's limits to it still. You can't you know, sure. run with a steady cam and hope the background will all stay fully tracked and, and rendering in real time. Yeah. But you can have a character immersed, your talent immersed in a realistic lighting setup, moving around that setting and you know we use it in asia when we've got to shoot multiple talents i talked a bit about that mm, before mm, mm. so if you need to shoot three sets of talent normally you need to do it for over the three, various markets yeah, yeah various yeah, markets yeah. over three separate days now you can just line them up and shoot it in a day on virtual production that's amazing yeah you do have to render and build and design all your sets first so yeah. but it's like the set design comes you know it's like that yeah, pre-production and visual effects are coming a lot more hand in hand. So sure. we're doing a lot more of the work rather than post-production. We're working a lot more in pre-production. If you were to cast your mind forward, say, five years from now, what do you see the, the process looking like in five years' time? Don't I don't try. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Today, I just, I'm just here today. That's just all. respond to what's... Yeah, yeah, play, yeah. What, play what's in front of me today. What is the constant, though, that won't change, do you think? 
Um, I still think that great ideas won't change. Yeah. Do you know? And yeah. people yeah. will always connect with stories. And, yeah. Um, yeah, they'll always, <laughs> that innate human connection that we really want and that shared experience. That yeah, that, really shared, like. that hero's journey. Isn't yeah. it? I mean, we've been telling that same story for thousands of years, <laughs> yeah. haven't we? <laughs> yeah. People want to see. Look, there's you know, only so many plots, but. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. that I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Yeah, do you have a, a, a creative process? So if you were given a brief on mm-hmm. something, how would you approach uh, your? I'd always break it down into a something like I'd break a script down into individual elements, and that's mm. been trained to me from like that hasn't changed since back when we were shooting on thirty five millimeter and working with great directors like you know Ian McKenzie and people like that. You know what I mean? And seeing how they break down a script and yeah. what goes into that shot. So yeah. looking at every element and how can that element be the very best that it can possibly be and particularly if you've only got 30 seconds yeah pay particular attention to detail to all those you know those little things are actually really big things yeah for sure yeah you know he taught me about craft and lighting and composition and all those little things are the things that i really particularly in visual effects is what we're looking for right how do you sell that shot to make it seem absolutely seamless that hasn't changed yeah. The toolkit might have changed, yeah. Yeah. the pace might have changed, but the, the principles are the same. So s- stick to the principles that have worked. Yeah. I love what you've built here in, in Heckler. And I, Thanks, I love the work you guys do, and there's a real soul behind it. It's funny. It probably doesn't come from the hip-hop track list you listen to, <laughs> but there's a, there's a genuine soul to you and the work you guys do. It's got a real worldliness to it. Mm. I think every project you guys work on just seems to have this world-class, worldly you know, keel that just centres it. So I wondered what that magic is from your perspective and how do you help others try and achieve it? Yeah, look, unfortunately, it's still very much who you know in this industry, so I think you've really got to lean into that. You know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. I think getting out there, um, putting yourself out there is what just as important as how much talent you've got. So mm. having the courage to go up and ask that question, mm. ask for that gig or yeah. um, standing out however you can is yeah. really, really important. You just can't cut through without it. So yeah. I think you need to be brave in and back yourself in doing that. And um, you will fall. I mean, I've fallen so many times flat on my face. And so you need to be resilient enough to get yourself up um, and dust yourself off and learn from it and move on. Sure. And, you know, there's that whole fail, quick fail, often fail quickly, you know, kind of thing. And that's true to an extent. You don't want to fail miserably and um, and end up, uh, you know, mentally ill as well. I think that's mm. something everyone's got to watch out for in this industry because you can get crushed. Yeah. Um, particularly um, with the amount of social media and things. And, and particularly in this country, it can be pretty devastating for young creatives to put their stuff up online and get slated. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I think that's yeah. hard, you know. Um, so you've got to be able to switch the noise off, I think, in, and not, you know, have a bullshit meter um, that you've just got to do the best bit of work. And if people don't like it, fuck it. You know what I mean? Mm, that's the mm. best. That's, you know, that's your craft. That's yeah. your art. Stand by it. Yeah. Um, and also be really careful about who, you know, who you choose as your mentor and who you trust. Sure. You know, I made some shockers along the way and I've made some incredible choices along the way. People that are still with me today, you know, really. And, mm. and some other people that absolutely didn't have my best interest at heart. And there's a lot of sharks in this business um, and a lot of people will take advantage of you and you've just got to, you know, you've got to have a head about yourself. Um, And so, yeah, I always say, you know, 
get up get up early and kind of win the morning and win the day is the motto to it all do you know what i mean and then reflect at night review it and then get back up and uh and have another crack tomorrow and yeah. and don't look too far down the road i try not to crystal ball it and also yeah i've learned now through a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh um self-reflection not to kind of bash the shit out of myself for mistakes made in the past you know I've yeah. got a lot more efficient yeah. at being able to let that stuff go and yeah. move on yeah um keep your feet on the ground and just keep pursuing it you know some days you're going to trudge right and it's mm. not you're not going to sprint every day but you can't sprint every day yeah so yeah. it's like it's taken us 13 years to get where we are today and it still feels like we're a new company to me yeah know? it's that beautiful what yeah. a wonderful way to feel mm. i mean i i'd love that I, mm. I just love that do you ever you know sort of turn around and look at how far you've come i mean yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I'm really proud of where we've got to. And this year particularly felt like, I don't know, felt like a re we just got through all the COVID stuff. And then it was like this start of this year was really flat in yeah, production. Yeah. So we got yeah. smashed. So getting towards the end of this year feels like a massive achievement. And we've yeah. got Cheru and our creative director, Cody, coming out to celebrate with us um, in a week's time. And um, that feels like, yeah, getting through 23 feels like, I mean, I'll probably say exactly the same thing <laughs> if you interviewed me next year but it, <laughs> or every year, but it does feel like a, a big year to be, like I'm really proud of the team this yeah. year. Well, I'm just looking at an article you wrote in mm. Campaign Brief about uh, you're using language like apocalypse and yeah. stuff in March 2020. I think everyone was, but yeah. you, 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 you saw things from a slight Slightly more optimistic angle, mm. right? I mean, and you've come out of it, and proof yeah. is in the pudding. Yeah. yeah, you guys are in a good space, and we are. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, how would you summarise all of that into um, a logline or a short synopsis? Um, <laughs> well, I call it a bite of wisdom, <laughs> but I'm trying to stick with a movie guy theme here. <laughs> Just keep heckling. <laughs> I love it, mate. I love it. I love it. I was going to ask, how did you come up with the name? I, it wasn't me. My business uh, partner came yeah. up with it, Jamie Watson. It's, I love it. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's so good. Yeah. Are you guys a, a frustrated comedians by any chance? Do you he definitely is. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still yeah, a wannabe rapper. And it's not a wannabe rapper. Yeah. Between a wannabe rapper and a, yeah. and a, and a stand -up, Fail, failed stand-up stand comedian. comedian. And, and rapper. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Will, what would your rap name be? Will, oh, it's just Wilbur Wilde. It's always Wilbur been. Wilbur 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 It's been an absolute pleasure, man. <laughs> I loved speaking to you. And I'd love to come back and have you back on the, on the B side. Awesome. Cheers, brother. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye. Awesome. That was Thank you, Brian. No, that's okay. If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers. Cheers.